So, if God exists, then it's a fundamental human activity to pray. And this is when a lot of preachers say, um, the prayer is essential, and then they'll say this line that I want to say because I hate it. There are no atheists in foxholes. Everybody prays. A um, couple, of, couple of things. One, uh, that's not true. There are, actually. Uh, two, that's actually disrespectful to our friends that don't profess faith. Um, which I find ironic because most of them know their Bibles better than most of us. The people that are, that are fully like, no, no way. I have a couple of friends, we meet, they know the scripture. But, that being said, the studies that I've read would say that between 90 and 96% of people pray. So prayer is both a fundamental activity for a human being according to the scriptures and most people pray. Therefore, it's good to turn to the scriptures and learn ugly prayer because we've had some ugly seasons. But also, how do we pray when it's beautiful and that beauty gives us some sense of God's existence and goodness? How do we say, wow, to God? How do we say thanks to God? Well, we can just say those words, but there are other words too. And what we've been doing for the last two weeks and this week and one more is we're looking to the Psalms to teach us, to pray us, to learn prayer from them, to be mentored by them, to learn how to pray ugly. And when we feel the joy that Christ purchased for us, Did you know that sunrises are not just for Instagram? They're also for prayer? I said that in the 9 o'clock service and I was looking around and I'm like, I don't think very many of these people are on Instagram. (laughs) And they said, did he say Instagram? No, they didn't didn't say that. Francis of Assisi wrote a song. He called it Canticle to Brother Son. You know, Francis of Assisi, you know how he came to faith? Did you ever read that story? He was living a wild life. And he sensed the Holy Spirit. He stripped in the middle of the city and went into a fountain and said, I'm giving my life to God, which is an interesting way to give your life to God. And one of the praises that he wrote, and I read this as literature because it's one of the oldest pieces of English literature that we have. I'm not sure if he wrote it in English. Anyway, it's one of the oldest pieces of uh, extant literature of his. It's called Canticle to Brother Son. This is him learning, and it sounds, sounds kind of New Agey spiritual, a song to my brother, the son. But what do you do when you see the sun and you sense its beauty? Or the clouds? Or some, something else that pierces your heart. Simone Weil, a French mystic, said there are two things that pierce the human heart, beauty and affliction. We talked a little bit about affliction. And if you prayed the way that I'm encouraging us to pray, which is be, today is November 19th, to pray Psalm 19, and then Psalm 49, and then Psalm 79. Psalm 79 is an ugly prayer. Psalm 109, Psalm 139. We would experience the full range of human emotions being poured back to God. Throughout my life, This has been by far my favorite devotional habit. I do not do it every day. I wish that I did. Sometimes it's a little later in the morning or the afternoon or the evening. It is always a restful to my heart, delightful way to devotionally approach the Lord. 
I was talking with a friend a couple weeks ago about it, and, and they said, right, praying the Psalms and the Proverbs. And I said, no, 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 no. I love the Proverbs. It's such a helpful book, but it is not devotional. If you go to the Proverbs on November 6th, because it's the sixth day, like there aren't 31 Proverbs because there are sometimes 31 days in a month. There are 31 Proverbs because there are 31 Proverbs. And if you go to the Proverbs on November 6th, you're going to read a story of a father who puts his arm around his son and he starts pointing to things in the street and talking about them. Namely, a prostitute. That's important wisdom literature. I'm not making this up. It's not devotional. But the Psalms are. In the Psalms, we'll have even darker language about how do we pour out our heart before God when it's an ugly season or happy season. Psalm 19 says this, if you have your Bible. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their measuring line goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them He has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber. And like a strong man runs its course with joy, its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Psalms about several different things at the same time, but it begins with praise. You and I get to learn how to praise. I think the, the more I look at this text, the more I think David was watching a sunrise. I think when he said tent, perhaps he's referring to the clouds. You know how the, you, want, you want there to be some clouds with a sunrise, right? Or a sunset. You don't want it to be full of clouds so you can't see it, but you want there to be something so that you're not looking right at the sun and the color schemes oftentimes with the clouds are so spectacular. When your heart and mine are pierced by beauty, we praise God who created all these things. And nature and God and prayer, in my opinion, live in a, in a sort of funny tension because it would be really easy for me to just say, and, and go outside and make sure that you pray. But our perception of nature is going to be imperfect in terms of the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims His handiwork and... Nature can be scary and cold and my hope for us is not so much that we know how to appreciate it, but that we go to the Psalms and through them learn how to pray. Some of us don't like nature and that's okay. 
my hope is that you and I are becoming more and more familiar with the Psalms. I enjoy preaching them because I'm becoming more familiar. I hope that you are becoming more familiar with them also. And when we become more familiar, we become more able and willing and comfortable thanking God for what He did, for who He is. In this case, for His law. Such an interesting shift. I often wonder, so I have a lot of respect for all kinds of artists. Uh, painters, poets, novelists, probably my favorite, songwriters. And I have this sense, and it's because I'm not an artist, that they just sit down and write it all. It just flows out of them with very little to no training or uh, thought. They just do it. And I know that's not the case. I've listened to many different kinds of artists speak. So I wonder, what's the setting here where David sits down and writes six verses pretty much about the sun. And then he starts talking about the law. Is he beginning to prepare for his day and he knows it's going to be a tricky day? He's reminding himself of what he believes about the law of God. And then at the end, he has this really good prayer. Let the words of my mouth and meditations of my heart be acceptable. And then he's like ready for his day. Is that what happened? I don't know. Did it take him weeks to write this? Months? Years? I don't know. And occasionally artists can do that. Poets, novelists, songwriters. Most of the time it takes some work, but we don't know. We don't know what happens between him being in awe of the sunrise and praising God for it to then moving into praising God for the law. Last year I uh, preached a series on the Ten Commandments, which is what I believe David's referring to here when he says the law. That's usually the summary for an Israelite or the Ten Commandments found in Exodus 20, Deuteronomy 6. Um, And one way of of describing the law is it reminds us of God's glory, reminds us of our need, and it's a good guide. And I don't know how familiar you are with that language. That's a reformed theological way of thinking about the law. But what do we do with that information? How do we remember it? How do we remember that the law of God is a good gift to us? We talk to our soul about it. So that's what David's doing. He's talking to his soul about what he believes to be true. And as you listen to verses 7 through 11, do you think that this is like totally how David felt? Or do you think he didn't feel this way and he's pushing back on whatever it is in his being that wasn't believing? Or do you think like he believed it but he needed a little bit of encouragement? I don't, I don't know. Do you think he just felt it? He's just expressing his love for God's law. Or is he not feeling it? He's preparing maybe in his mind to lie to someone that day. And he's like, but I know lying is not the best way to do life with other humans. So I'm trying to remind myself of God's law. Or does he believe it, but it's not as confident in his bones, you know? Listen again, what do you think? The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. A pastor that I like a lot named Tim Keller says, you have two options as a human. You can talk to your soul or listen to your soul. I love that because for uh, a Christian, according to the scriptures, 
you and I are not separate. Like our parts of our being are not things that exist separately. Your mind and your heart, your body, your soul, they're all together. You don't have a soul. You are a soul. But if we just sit there and we're trying to pray, like, what do you think? Sometimes our soul will say things to us that aren't true, right? Don't we have anxieties and fears and our own good and bad mentoring in life? So David is speaking to his soul, and I don't know whether he totally feels it. I mean, he did say dripping from the honeycomb. That makes me think maybe he's feeling it. But maybe he's not feeling it, and he's trying to remind himself of what is true. Namely, that the law of God is a blessing. Maybe he kind of believes it. That's me a lot of mornings. When I come to the Psalms, it's like I believe it, but I long to believe it more deeply, to sense it in my bones, to feel the confidence that accompanies following God and believing that he loves me. That because of the work of Christ, I have a relationship with him, that I'm a mess naturally and have plenty of residual fleshiness in me. And so I remind myself of the good news of God oftentimes using the Psalms, and I encourage you to do the same. We learn to praise largely by becoming familiar with the Psalms. We learn to thank God and to treat Psalm 19 and the rest of them as a model for how do we whine to God? How do we praise Him? How do we notice beauty around us? while asking for help. I think in the midst of this, we notice David's humanity. He's expecting his praise and his awe of creation to matter to God. Do you catch that at the end? He's beginning to ask for help. It's not just a psalm of praise. It's a psalm of praise and asking for help. I love his humanity. David is fully expecting his praise to matter to God and be of help to his spirit. You see what I'm talking about there? Verse 11, he kind of begins to say, Moreover, by them, meaning the laws of God, is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? What's he talking about? Blind spots. Declare me innocent from hidden faults. We have blind spots. What do we do about them? If you're a follower of Jesus, we pray about them. That's not all that we do. It's another talk for another time. But... We don't do less than pray about them. In addition to blind spots, keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. You and I struggle with arrogance. You might be quieter about it than me, but you and I struggle with arrogance. What do we do about our struggles with arrogance? We pray about them. Is that all that we do? No. But we don't do less than that. How? Like this. If you open Psalm 19 this morning and let it pray you... Then you prayed about your arrogance this morning and God heard that and it mattered. Let them not have dominion over me. Oh man, isn't that wonderful? I mean, what do you do with your emotions? Do you sometimes wish that they had less power over you? Are you ever talking with someone and you feel you start to shake and it's because of all the full emotion of the moment? What do we do about that? Do you just keep a steel grip on yourself? 
Do you read a book? Do you listen to a podcast? Do you call your friend that you know won't push back on you just to whine for a while to them? Which is fine, by the way. Sort of. Depending on how you whine. Well, we don't do less than pouring that out to God. Please help my blind spots and my arrogance and my tendencies towards sin. Please help them not have dominion over me. What a wonderful prayer. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Closes with a verse that I memorized a long time ago because it's such a wonderful prayer. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. David is asking for help. Prayer is more than asking for help, but it is not less than asking for help. I often find it pretty ironic how many books I've read about prayer because I agree with D.A. Carson, a theologian who said, pray yourself into prayer, but I like to read books on prayer because I kind of think they're going to give me the key. Really, the key is realizing that I don't want to because I'm still in the broken world and I still have my flesh, but I just could kneel and pray the Psalms or the way that Jesus taught to pray. But the most helpful book I've ever read on prayer in terms of just sending me back to prayer is by a interesting author named Anne Lamott and her book on prayer is uh, called Help Thanks Wow and some of you would not like to read her and some of you would like her a lot I'll just say that you can google it and be like oh that's what he meant by that but her little and she doesn't say everything there is to say about prayer because no one will ever there will be books written about prayer until Jesus returns Help Thanks Wow So helpful to me. And here it is in the Psalms. David starts with wow. Then he moves to thanks. And now he's saying help. Help me with my inner self. Help me with my arrogance. Help me with my blind spots. Help, 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 help. And we learn from the Psalms to praise and to thank while asking for help. And in that way, the Psalms are a mentor to us. I'm hoping that we are becoming more familiar with them. I'm hoping that they're a model for us. I'm hoping that they become a mentor, an older friend. Have you ever prayed with someone and you're like, I wish that I prayed a little bit more like that person. They seem so comfortable. Remember in college, someone describing a a prayer mentor of both of us saying like, it's like talking to Jesus with one of his very oldest friends. The Psalms are that for us. Not embodied, but here in the text. Letting them pray us teaches us to be more familiar with that language. We end up expressing the whole spectrum of emotions. They are a model for us and they are our mentors into prayer. Which is a leaning into the Spirit. Every follower of Jesus, if you call Jesus Lord, you say, I trust you with my heart and with my decisions then you have the Holy Spirit. It's one of the sweetest, sweetest promises of the in-between time. The time after Jesus has been on earth and before he comes back and makes all things new. Is that we have the Holy Spirit. But, we don't always feel like it, right? 
Which is why in the book of Acts there's this interesting tension between having the Holy Spirit and being filled with the Holy Spirit. So you can have the Holy Spirit but not be filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, what do you and I do about that? Well, we can wrestle about it theologically. We can look at the book of Acts and other texts. Much more importantly, we pray for a sense of what we believe to be true. We talk to our soul about what we believe to be true and we're given peace. Not just peace either. In verse 11, David says, in keeping them there is great reward. And he's talking about keeping the law. But Jesus said something that I think you and I ignore all the time. And it's just bonkers that we ignore this. I probably could have used a thesaurus and come up with a better word to describe how amazing it is that you and I ignore this. Jesus said, in Matthew chapter 6, go into your room and close the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And that part, I think you're, you're probably, I hope you're familiar with. Why? What did he say right after that? Do you know? And your father who sees in secret will reward you Whoa! And that seems like fishy to me. Like, really? What? Jesus? Reward that it was all free. It is free. Grace is free. At great cost to Him. Free to us. But there's a reward for going into our room, telling nobody about it, because that would be hypocritical. He said that before He taught on praise. Don't pray this way for other people to be impressed by you. Don't just repeat things to God. That's how pagans pray. That's Jesus' words. Go into your room, close the door. And pray, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And here is my best shot for you of what that reward is. Because reward is, is it maybe a word you feel very comfortable with, maybe you feel suspicious. What does it mean, though? What's the reward? As best I can tell, from studying Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, that's the Sermon on the Mount, from studying how Jesus talked about prayer, from studying the rest of the scriptures, I believe the reward is three things. This is what's available to you and I in prayer. Specifically non-driving prayer, by the way. Listen, if you pray in the car, that's totally fine. If you just pray in the car, you're totally missing the reward. I'm serious. Prayer in the car, fine. Just prayer in the car, missing the reward. Okay, clear? We good? We good? I also don't want you to have a wreck. Because what if you got really filled with the Spirit? I really thought that was a good joke. <laughs> like, like six of you <laughs> agreed. It's because you want to know what the reward is. The most compelling reason I think that what I'm about to say is the reward is this is what you see in Jesus' life when he gets up from his times of prayer. The reward is this, peace in your heart. Go to your room, close the door. You don't even have to take a long time. Jesus actually said... Don't pray long. He did. Have you read that in Sermon on the Mount? Like you think because I'm a pastor, I want you to spend two hours every day praying. I think that would be a blessing to you. But I have to be honest. Jesus said it doesn't need to be a long prayer. In fact, a lot of long prayers have bad motivations. So you just go into your room for like, I mean, you could pray the Lord's Prayer in 14 seconds. Now, I'm not sure your heart's going to be engaged, all 14 of those. And Jesus said pray this way. So I think the best thing is to expand the Lord's Prayer in your own life, using your own words. So here's the reward. It's peace in your heart. Not as the world gives. Peace deep in your bones that God's good and He's got you. He loves you and likes you. That's one. 
It's intimacy with the Father. Intimacy with the Father has been purchased for every Christian because of the work of Christ. Prayer gives us a sense of that intimacy. Not just the fact of salvation, but a sense, a felt sense that you are Jesus's and He is yours, that He calls you a beloved son or daughter. And, third, third reward, you have a sense of your role in His kingdom. You know that you have a role. It might be connected to your vocation. It's absolutely connected to the neighbors that God has given you in your life. If you're a member of this church, it's 100% connected to your membership in this church. You have a role in His kingdom. Well, how do we know what that role is? Well, that's a, a long conversation about spiritual gifts and circumstances and opportunities and affections. But how are we confident in our role? Through prayer. I believe that when Jesus describes the reward, that's what he's getting at. And you and I just don't. And here's the thing. All of the reasons that you don't pray are legitimate. And they need to stop being excuses. You know what I'm saying? Like, I know you're worried about stuff. I know you're busy. I know you have problems that actually need to be solved and will not be solved in your prayer closet. I also know that Jesus said we receive a reward and we don't have to be in there for a long time. And so I hope that we go to our prayer closets receiving the reward Jesus described using His teaching or the Psalms to lean into the Spirit and to not just become familiar with the Psalms, to not just use them as a model, to not just treat them as a mentor, an older friend in prayer, but to become Psalm writers ourselves. Full confidence that God takes all of our emotion and all of our circumstances and all of our words seriously in prayer. And we come out of our time with peace that transcends understanding with a sense of our intimacy with the Father and confidence in our role in His kingdom. That's why we pray. That's what we should expect to get out of it. We're supposed to expect to get something out of prayer. And so we return to our closets and pray, let the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Would you pray with me? Father, would you indeed let the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart be acceptable in your sight? Would you help us to lean into and to believe and to believe more deeply that you are indeed our rock and our redeemer? Amen.